Good morning, everybody. Fantastic. Well, you've already, uh, you know, coming to church so far, you've already got enough. You could leave now and be satisfied if you've been open to God, right? And uh, it's, you know, wow, it's better than going to the tradies. Better than going to Camp Raiders Club. Better than going to a Coldplay concert uh, because they suck the glory in for themselves. But we don't worship the band. We don't worship the leader. We, we def- def- defer everything up to heaven where it belongs. There's, there's one person who deserves praise and glory and adoration, as Melanie said, and that's Jesus. And uh, come on, let's just pray. Let's close our eyes. Let's just... Imagine that Jesus is standing in front of us. He leans forward and he gives us a hongi. And he's right there. We can feel his forehead on our forehead, his nose on our nose, and his breath breathing onto our lips. And this is what he says to you. He says, I've got a word for you today. Let's just say to him, let's reply, I'm listening, Lord. Amen. Awesome. Let's uh, turn to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 22, and uh, just prior to this verse, the Israelites have been ushered through the Red Sea. It's been a huge miracle. The Egyptian army's been destroyed, been wiped out, and they've been, the, the whole start of chapter 15 is all a praise song to God. And then here in verse 22, it says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, do you know where you're taking us, Moses? Sure. You're going to tell us where you're taking us? Sure. I mean, do you know the name of the place? Sure. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Because Mara means bitter, very close to the Hebrew word for bitter. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. You know, the Israelites were an unusual group of people. They, weren't, they hadn't just been slaves in Egypt. They'd been the sons and daughters of slaves who'd been the sons and daughters of slaves, who'd been the sons and daughters of slaves, who'd been the sons and daughters of slaves for hundreds of years, they had a slave mentality. It was right through them. They, they were just used to abuse. They were used to trauma. They were used to nothing working out for them. They were used to bad, 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 being just ordered around. They didn't have control over their lives. They had no control. And here they are, they've just... Uh, gone three days and they're starting to get low on the water supply and then they go straight back into slave mode and start grumbling. Somebody's got to do something for us. And they start getting upset. But you know, God is always in the business about taking slaves and turning slaves into overcomers. Taking people who are gloom and doomers and turning them into dreamers. Taking people who have no hope, who are hopeless who have just hopelessness surrounding their lives and moving them to a place of hope. And the question is, where are you on the spectrum? Whereabouts are you? Are you still struggling with, with slave mentality or are you on your journey? And God's saying, come on, I'm going to give you water when you need it. 
I'm going to give you meat when you need it. I'm going to give you a cloud that protects you from the sun during the day. I'm going to give you a, a pillar of fire that warms you in the hot, cold desert at night because I want you to have hope. I want you to get that slave mentality out of your mind that I've got hope for you. I've got a future for you. I have a future and a hope for you. It gets better. We're talking about faith, hope and love in this series. The title of my message today is Throw Away the Key. Yesterday, Melanie, uh, last week, Melanie gave a great message about faith and about speaking over our lives. But you know, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you don't have hope, you can't do any faith. You have, your faith has nothing to work with. You've got to have hopes. You've got to have dreams. Hopes are all about the future. It's about expecting something better. I'm expecting good things. I'm expecting that ultimately things are going to get better. It's going to be okay. Everything is going to be fine. Everything is going to work out. And we lay that as our platform of our attitude. And that takes us from being a slave attitude, we have no hope, to an overcoming, hopeful person, a child of God. God wanted to train these people to think the way he thinks, to have the same thoughts that he thinks. And there's always hope. There's always hope. Do you have hope in your life? Your faith needs hope. You need dreams. You need to have an idea of things in the future. You know, the word that's translated hope in the Old Testament in a couple of places is translated as a different word. And the Israelites came to their first city, Jericho, that they're going to wipe out. God said, destroy everybody. They're worshipping horrible gods that are requiring them to sacrifice their own children. I don't want anybody of that left. They get to the first city. The spies go into the city. And a woman looks after them and hosts them in their, her home. The, the woman is, actually protects them and hides them from, from uh, being discovered. The Jewish, the Israelite spies. And uh, she says, no, I don't, haven't seen these spies. She hides them. And then she says to these people, look, I have protected you. So... I know you're commanded to destroy our whole city, but will you please save me and my family? And they said, okay, we'll do that because you've saved us. We'll save you. And I want you to tie a cord, red cord in the window, and that's going to be a sign that we don't touch anybody in that house. You know, the word that's translated cord, everywhere else in the Old Testament's translated hope. Her cord was her hope. And hope is a cord. Hope is a cord into your future. And it's, and it's there. And faith is what reels it in. Faith is the substance of things that we hope for. And we bring it in. As uh, Louise said today, we take hold of our hopes and we reel them in. And it takes faith to do that. She had great hope and she put a cord of hope out. Faith is a positive expectation because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can imagine. He is always saying, come on, I can do more than that. What are you asking for that? Why don't you ask for this? What do you dream about that? Why don't you go for that? And it's still small compared to what I'm thinking. God's always drawing us out into hope. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 5. Blessed be the God, 3 to 5, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his good mercy, great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a uh, great book that you can still buy. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And it's written by a Jewish guy called Viktor Frankl. And he was a doctor in, uh, just leading up to the Second World War in Germany. The Nazis did not like lots of groups of people. One group of people they didn't like were the mentally retarded. This guy, Viktor Frankl, worked in, a, in Vienna Hospital, worked with mentally handicapped people. And he risked his life and his career by signing off that they were healthy. Because the Nazis were putting these people to death. They didn't want any mentally, health, mentally challenged people in their society. And he also, Viktor Frankl, had the opportunity to leave Germany and go and live in the United States. He decided to stay to support his parents and eventually all of them were put into Auschwitz, put into a concentration camp. And uh, there was terrible suffering and deprivation in that place. He said in the book that uh, in a concentration camp, a person's life foundations are torn open. A person's life is torn open and their foundations are exposed. And you see what they're really like. And he spent time in the concentration camp counselling people who were suicidal, trying to give them hope. But he observed an interesting thing. He said there are four ways that people respond to a concentration camp, to the, horrible, the horrors of a concentration camp, where you lose your rights, you lose all control over your life. You become like a slave in Egypt. You have no future. And there were four ways that people responded in the concentration camps that he noticed. The first way, they became brutal. They became animalized. They were treated brutally, so they became brutal. They started stomping over other prisoners, trying to get the best bed, the best food, the best clothing, whatever it is, the best opportunities. They became brutal. They reverted back to an animal way, an, uh, an evolutionist way of looking at the world. They lost their humanity in the process because they had no hope. The second way was that people just gave up. They said, that's it, I don't care anymore. And, and, and he'd noticed that these people would start by sleeping in. They wouldn't want to get out of bed. Then they'd stop washing themselves, stop feeding themselves, stop clothing themselves, stop caring whether there were scabs on them or whatever the problem was, they wouldn't seek medical attention. They just gave up because they'd lost hope. The third group of people just longed back for the old days, the good old days. My, when I was healthy, when I wasn't a skin and bone, I was strong. My family, my wealth, when I had control over my life, when I was, had all these achievements, when I had position and status in society, they longed for that. And they thought that, uh, you know, that, that, if I can just get that back, if I can just have that again, then I can have hope. And over time, they became bitter and disillusioned. And even after they left the prison camp at the end of the war, they remained bitter and disillusioned. The fourth group of people had an inner liberty, an inner strength, an inner hope that sustained them right through the years in the concentration camp because they had a hope in something beyond. They had a spiritual hope. They had a hope in God that there was more. Things are going to be good one day. I have a hope. The ultimate hope, you know, he, Victor Frankl says in his book that 
Uh, and he's not a Christian, but a lot of this is so Christian. The principles. He said that it's not your history, your experiences, your family background, your training, your skills that makes you who you are. It's what you hope for. It's what you hope for. What are you hoping for? He said it's what you're living for. What are you living for? Is it enough? Is it a living hope? Because there's dead hopes as well. There are hopes that can die. There are hopes that can, can, uh, can disappear. But we have a hope that's a living hope. It goes beyond and it gives us hope for today. Our hope for today will depend on what our ultimate hope is. Do we have a living hope that we can pull on from the future that feeds the hope that we have today? It gives us dreams that are bigger than us. You know, our, God is very interested in things that we dream. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. Now, he's not going to grant you the desires of your heart until you delight in him. God, I am, you, you are sufficient for me. And what you give me is sufficient for me. I delight in that. I let everything else go. You know, in, in um, Asian uh, palaces, the, the doorways between buildings and, and gardens and things always have a low top on the door and a step to get over. So the only way you can get in is by bowing. And it's the same with God. The only way you can get in with God is to say, I delight in you. I bow down. I give you all my dreams, all my hopes, because I'd rather have you. One day in your presence is better than a thousand of all this stuff. I'd rather have you. And then something strange happens. God says, I love that. Now, let's talk about what you're interested in. Now that I've got you, now that I have got you in a hongi position, I know that I can trust you. I know that your delights are all correct. So what are you living for? You might say, oh, but I'm never going to be in a concentration camp. Yes, but each of us will find that one of those areas, health, family, wealth, achievements, position in society, our ability to control our lives and have predictability, they can come under threat at times, sometime during our life. How do we respond to that? Do we just get become brutal and angry, treating other people the way we feel we've been treated? Do we just give up and say, that's it, I, 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 I'm out of here, forget that. I am over it. I don't care anymore. I'm going to sleep in. I'm not going to care about anything else anymore. Or do we just hanker and long for something? Just, just let it eat away at us until we're filled with bitterness and disillusionment and cynicism. How do we respond when a dream is dashed? You know, in uh, America, in the Midwest, they have in those states like Oklahoma and Kansas, when the tornado season comes and they, the people are all waiting to hear that alarm go off because the, the hot, warm air coming up from the south meets this big hit of cold air from the north and when hot air gets trapped underneath cold air it, it, it's got to rise and it's just got to shoot up and it starts spinning and causes these massive tornadoes and the people here the, the alarms go off they go into a stronghold 
in their basement or just outside the house. And you can see them online. They buy these things. And the whole house can be destroyed and this thing still stands. And so just a little room, not much bigger than a bathroom, massive thick walls and places to sit and maybe uh, just sit it out. And they can be sitting in there and it can feel like a, a small place, but in there they're totally safe. They step outside, they could die. They stay in, they're safe. They could be sitting there listening to this thing approaching like a train. Starts coming, they can hear the noise. It can be attacking their house, the circumstances of their life, the things that they have uh, built up over time, things they've purchased and taken time to choose and select carefully. Can all in a moment be just destroyed. The house can be lifted off its foundations. They can hear it all whipping around, but they're safe. In fact, they still have everything of value. They still have their, each other. They still have their dreams. They still have their hope. And even though they're in a small walled place, they still have a huge horizon, a huge canvas called life. Everything else can be replaced. They still have it. Look at this awesome verse. And this is the key verse, I think, for today. Is Zechariah 9 verse 12. Return to the stronghold prisoners who have hope. And some versions... It says, return to your stronghold, prisoners of hope. We are prisoners of hope. That stronghold for us is our hope. We go into our stronghold of hope. We never leave hope. As soon as we're tempted to drop hope and leave hope, so I don't have any hope anymore, we go out and we get hit by the winds of life. And whatever the situation is, whatever we find ourselves surrounding us, we need to stay in hope. Don't leave it. Throw away the key. You are a prisoner of hope. Moses went to his stronghold, which was God. He acknowledged that there was a need. God, these people are grumbling. We need water. He went to God. He turned to God. Sometimes when we're in trouble, we turn away from God. He went to his stronghold and said, God, there's a storm brewing and I need to be in hope. In dark moments, we need to push into God. And what did God tell him to do? He said, there's a tree here, and I want you to put it in the water. God had already put a tree there. God had already planned ahead. God's plans and purposes for you are always good. They're always planned in advance. He's got something prepared for you. He's got a tree planted just for you when you need it. His preparations for you are for abundance, for provision, for blessing. His future is always better than what you have now. It's always good. I have a future and a hope for you, says the Lord. And the tree, the tree in this story is, of course, a picture of the tree on which the Son of God hung. A tree, a, a cross made of wood from a tree. And on that cross, Jesus didn't just die for our sins. He also died so that we wouldn't have to put up with being in bondage to spirit, evil spiritual powers, so that we wouldn't be in bondage to traumas from the past and this dysfunction that has squashed us and misshapen us. He, he, put, us, he put himself on the cross to save us from all disappointment, from all grief, from all sorrow. He's called the man of sorrows. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, it says that he's, he was fully acquainted, intimately acquainted with grief. 
He was intimately acquainted with grief. If we went up to Jesus when he was on earth, it's different now. We went up to Jesus when he was on earth. He was not a jokester, a prankster. He was carrying the grief and the sorrows of all the people around him. And he said, I'm going to take all of these. I'm going to take all these. All of these are going. I'm going to take them and nail them to the cross. And God took the, uh, told Moses to take the tree and plunge it into this bitter water and make it sweet. He took Jesus, that sweet, the sweetness of heaven, and plunged, it into all the, plunged him into all the bitterness of this earth. And in the midst of this terrible crucifixion, this horrible death, Jesus, when he could have been most bitter at the injustice of it, at the being betrayed by a friend, at the pain and the, and the sorrow and the grief of his body being torn apart, how did Jesus respond with sweetness? He said, Father, forgive them. And all of this bitterness that rose up was completely overwhelmed by the sweetness of Jesus because that's the God that we serve. He is just sweet. He is sweetness. All our anxieties, all our shattered dreams, our brokenness, our sense of injustice, betrayal, boy, just little things. You know, I've, I've had a, I had a, this thing with a car that I bought and uh, I was ripped off. There was too long a story to go into. But, you know, you bring it to God and in the scheme of things, hope puts everything into perspective. Because remember, all of our great long life of 70 years, if you look at can get shrunk down to just a microsecond when you compare it to eternity. Eternity goes on and on. And one day our life here on earth, the time when we had the power to choose where we wanted to spend eternity, it's just going to seem like a little dot. No matter how long we live, it's, it's going to be just a... And that moment, you know, this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 1, it was written to a group of Christians who were being persecuted. They were having a tough time. And uh, the author says to them, your momentary affliction. He says, you need to have a living hope to cope for that momentary affliction. How bad is your affliction? It doesn't matter because one day it's just going to be, and then you'll be, you'll be full of joy forevermore. In 10 million years, it's not going to matter. He turns our bitterness into something sweet. The cross is the power of God to change us. Look back at 1 Peter 1 verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved for you. What is reserved for you? Have a look at verse 7. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result, is the result of our hope. It will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not praise and glory and honor to Jesus. It's praise and glory and honor to you who have believed. We will give Jesus a, a huge praise, huge glory, huge honor. But you know what? He's going to return the praise and glory. <laughs> you hoped in me. You put your faith in me. Well done. That's awesome. That's awesome. You endured. Faithful child. And we'll have that face-to-face 
Time with him. How do we get hope? We get hope by being born again. Religion says, I give God a a record card of all my good behavior and all my righteous deeds and thoughts and words and I give it to God and then he owes me heaven because there it is. And God says, well, actually, you've left a few things off your record card. In fact, there can't be anything other than A plus in all grades, in all subjects. And there's only about a million subjects. There's no way you're going to get an A plus in everything. But I'll tell you what Christianity does. In Christianity, Jesus, uh, God gives to us a record uh, that we don't deserve. He says, actually, I'd like to give you, with your name on it, my son's record card. And he's got straight A's in everything, straight A pluses, triple pluses, whatever, in everything. And I want you to have it. This is now your record card. You are completely perfect in my sight. And we respond in love and say thank you. And (laughs) that's awesome. And we live for him. That's the difference between religion and Christianity. How did Jesus endure his suffering? Because he went through it. What kept him? What was his hope? Hebrews 12 verse 2 says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The joy that was set before him. Jesus had something in front of him that he kept his eyes on, regardless of all the F5 tornado that was going on at the time. He had a joy set before him and he fixed his eyes on that. What was it? Have a look at Isaiah 53. Verse 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, Jesus' soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. As that song said, uh, the new song says, uh, he wasn't just happy with heaven without us. Jesus went to the cross saying, There's only one way I'm going to be able to get through this, and that is if I remember the hope that I have. It's a living hope, and I'm going to keep my eyes on that. And the living hope that I have is that I will have people with me for eternity. His living hope was you and me. His living hope was to have humans with him in heaven. It kept him going. He kept his eyes on that prize. You are Jesus' living hope. And knowing that he wanted you to live with him forever as his hope. We get that revelation and it becomes, and he becomes our living hope. Our living hope. The love that he has for us is a hongi that we return to him and say, well, you did that for me. I make you my living hope. He becomes our stronghold. He becomes our stronghold in the tornadoes of life. He is our stronghold. The Bible says, return to your stronghold, you prisoners of hope. We are in a stronghold of hope 
doesn't matter what comes, whatever may come. Our living hope will never disappoint us. It's, he is undefiled. He's unchanging. He's unfading. Our hope is reserved for us. It can never be touched. It can never be destroyed. No matter what situation we go through, whether big or small, whether we lose one or all of the things that matter to us, we can never, we can never lose hope in him. He goes beyond. Let's close our eyes. If you're here today and you have never connected with God and you're feeling like I need to connect with God I need to get right with him I need this living hope in my life I need to know him in my heart and you've been sitting here and you're listening you've been here for the worship and you've heard for the message and it's been speaking to your heart and you know that right now today you need to put God number one in a moment I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand And we'll acknowledge it and someone will pray with you after the service, give you a Bible. Well, if you're sitting here today and you think, I've been drifting, I've been losing my hope. I've become more hopeless. I'm starting to exhibit behavior and thinking of someone who has lost hope. I need to get that back. We can reconnect with God. We can release the judgments that we've made the vows that we've made of what we're not going to do and how we're getting to a place of making promises to ourselves that are dangerous. We need to acknowledge our pain to God. We've got to go into our stronghold. We've got to talk face-to-face with the one who is intimately acquainted with deepest grief. And we need to say, God, I've got a grief. I've got pain. I need to give it to you. And Jesus says, well, what was meant for evil God can turn and make it for good and give you a new hope again. Be driven into your stronghold, prisoner of hope. Go back into your stronghold of hope. Go back in there and meet him again. Accept Jesus again and let him plunge into the waters of bitterness and make them sweet.